This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your afternoon playlist, State Farm knows you personalize your entire day. And that's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with the State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. It's winter, and you can now get almost anything you need for the coldest months of the year delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a ski slope delivered, but you can get dish soap delivered. Sunshine, that's a no. But a bottle of wine, that's a yes. A snow angel? Sorry, no. But angel hair pasta? Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol and select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. You're banking on a team being as stupid as your club is for for the sustainability of the future of your club. Final one, maybe Jack Grealish is to blame. Just having a good time. Just vibes. Just funny, innit? It's hilarious. We are back once again as a banter club. Hence why I was getting giddy when I said in your previous video, you know, <laughs> I, was, I was dreaming of fourth. <laughs> I know, man. But Anthony Gordon and Ross Barkley, they're not forgivable. Who are the three teams that will go down this season? How are we doing, people? Welcome back to The Ripple Effect with me, James Lawrence Alcott. This podcast is all about relegation. The Premier League's kind of sort of settling itself down now. We're starting to have a little look forward. And in this one, we're kind of looking forward, but with a bit of dread. I have been able to chat to a fan from each team that is threatened with relegation right now. And as much as we want to talk about you know, staying up and if they're going to go down. What I really wanted to talk about is why are they in this position? But also, what happens? What happens if you do go down? I think the sort of landscape of relegation is really interesting right now because parachute payments have been a bit of a lifeline for a lot of clubs and the sort of bounce up and down from these clubs has meant that they've been able to kind of find a decent footing. And actually, we talk about that uh, in the podcast. I think I chat to that with, uh, with Wolfie from Forest Fan TV. And we talk about the fact that, so Nottingham Forest, for example, had to spend a lot of money to bring in loads of players, whereas Bournemouth and Fulham did do that, but they had a bit more of a base there because they'd gone up and down. But if you have a look at the championship, it's just a really interesting place. There's some big teams in there. Ipswich, of course, coming up at the time of recording. Sheffield Wednesday could still go up. Plymouth were, you know, is a very well-supported club. And then on the way down, you've got some huge, huge clubs. Everton, Forest, Leicester City, Leeds United and Southampton. We're going to talk to fans from each of those. The bulk of those have their own content. So if you are a fan of any of those teams and you haven't heard of these podcasts, then please do give them a look. There's a link in the the description so you can click on that and and listen to them more and hear what they think and what they feel about their team I think quite often we sort of hear from the pundits who don't really know about their club enough and in this one I wanted to listen and hear and, and kind of poke and prod of course as well and find out what happens to the squad and to the club itself if they fall out from the Premier League it's really really interesting really insightful to hear hear content from the lens of those teams down the bottom because as I say it's often that we're hearing from fans from Man United, Arsenal, Chelsea and whatever it may be so to get it from you know from the horse's mouth is 
I think he's really, really nice with this one. So I hope you enjoy it. If you're enjoying the podcast right now, then please do consider hitting that follow button and give us a five-star review. Honestly, it does make a huge difference. It keeps us at the top of the charts, which allows us to you know continue to thrive. And the longer we thrive, the longer we get to do this podcast. So do that for me and support me, support this podcast, and of course, enjoy the podcast. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it, guys. Appreciate all the support and all the messages, people saying that they're loving the concept, and we're going to have a fantastic summer. But for now, let's enjoy this one about relegation, or try to at least. Currently in 20th place, so the first on this list of interviews that we're going to do, Harry from the Saint Score podcast, Southampton currently in that bottom position, probably the most likely to go down. I was listening to one of your podcasts earlier in the season, actually, and I remember it might have been yourself talking about the idea of going down and you were kind of already sort of accepting of the scenario. Is that where you're at now? Are you still fighting? Is there any sort of bullish nature that you you can offer me, Harry? Because it is still tight. You're still in there. I think if you ask me when Ruben Seles took over, was there any chance? Absolutely. I think there were still 16 games left, plenty of time to get results, especially with plenty of games with teams around us look under Nathan Jones I think most of the games were against teams around us and we lost all but one of them but under Sellers there was still a bit of a chance but that last chance saw it if it came and it went against Nottingham Forest and look we've lost I think nine times one nil this season so it was a lot better than a lot of the previous performances against teams around us and look three away goals but if you concede four against Nottingham Forest you let them get six points against you this season and now we need maximum points and basically for the other teams above us not to do anything sadly it feels like our 11 11 year spell in the Premier League's over because I remember you saying that in terms of that next manager, I think that's what the podcast was, because it, it was like Nathan Jones is gone, has got to go. And so the, the idea then is, you know, do you get in a big name, probably on a big wage to try and sort of galvanise the group? But you're also on to your third manager anyway, or are you better off going for a young guy who can kind of get embedded a little bit and then you can be in a better space next season? With Ruben Sellers, where do you feel with him? Do you think he is the future of the club regardless? Because it's got slightly better, just kind of not enough. In terms of it getting not good enough, is that down to the recruitment or the players? Because you have spent a bit of money. You know, you spent 70 million in the summer, 55 million with a uh, quite a clear focus on kind of on youth uh, throughout the, the side. Was that... Was that down to the fact that you probably th- thought that you might be kind of going down and you wanted something that felt a bit more sustainable in terms of bringing more money in? And so with that idea of going down, do you have a bit of positivity about you with the squad and the situation that you're in? Oh, no, absolutely. I've got a lot of positivity because, you know, if we do go down, we'll have at least £100 million worth of players that we can sell. Looking at Ruben Sellers after his first game against Chelsea, a nice 1-0 victory, a lovely James Will Prowse free kick. After that game, they made the decision to keep him on. And I think at that point, you sort of feel, do you know, rather than give him one game, give him two, give him three, you know, Leeds United up next. If we lose that game, then the complexion completely changes. But making that commitment to immediately um, choose him to be our next manager until the end of the season, that's a big call. And one I feel that they've got incorrect. Or it probably shows that it's incorrect. And, 
you know, you look at the summer recruitment, I think all but three or four of the players that we got were under 20 years old and there was still a chance in January to change that. You know, you look at Nottingham Forest, they got Kaylor Navas in, they got Felipe and they got Danilo in three players that against us were the reason that they, they came away of all three points or a big part of that anyway. And you look at the players that we brought in, Paul Onoacho, someone that was brought in for Nathan Jones, who was then sacked two games later. Same with Suleimana, both on the bench. And it's just been a really tough period since January because the signings that we thought were going to make a big impact really haven't done anything at all, apart from Alcaraz that's got four goals and could really be a a key part of our season next year. So in terms of the personnel and, you know, the ripple effect moving forward, because I think there's something... With Southampton, with uh, Dragon Solak sort of in charge, if you if you were somehow to, able to stay up, you you know there is the financial backing there to sort of keep keep having a bit of a go. Or I mean, I think having a go is essentially survival these days. You look at Bournemouth, the money they've spent just to stay up this year. But if you go down that sort of January recruitment and the money that you spent there, does that become problematic for you guys? Are you concerned about? the players that you're going to get off the wage bill? Or do you feel like you're in a sort of confident position in terms of being able to sell them because of the profile of those players? Because the January signings are the ones that you kind of go, oh, that this isn't, like you say, like, oh, actually it was, it was clearly for Nathan Jones to play it slightly more direct. And now he can't get any minutes at all. Um, Suleimana had a couple of moments this year. Do you sort of, because this is what I want to kind of find out with all of them. The, the idea of getting relegated is obviously feels disastrous always but I think there's this catch-22 between the like the safety of the sort of parachute payments the fact that Southampton are quite well run these days um and the squad that you've got right now so if you do go down do you do you think you'll be able to sell these players for more than you you got them in despite being in the championship yeah, I mean, firstly, if you look at Lavia, for example, next season, he's got a £40 million, pound, or so I should say, at the end of next season, he's got a £40 million pound buyback to Manchester City that they're almost certainly going to activate. So if anyone wants to get him this summer, and all the top six teams are rumoured to be going in for him, they're going to have to pay at least that, probably more. You look at James or Prowse, that's a 30 to £35 million pound pl- uh, price player. And all the players that you know, could be going, Carl Walker-Peters, Armel Belakoc up. They've got at least two, three years left on their contracts. So they're people that, you know, aren't really affected by if they have one year left, their price halves, maybe apart from Che Adams, who is contracted until 2024. But you look at our ownership model and they want to build a footballing brand similar to the, the likes of Manchester City. And we're supposed to be the headline club for that. You know, we've got a team in Turkey as well. But they, they've already said that they'll be able to back us in the championship, reinvest the money that they want to bring in or that they do get in. Because they're a new ownership model, you sort of a lot of people think that they know exactly what's going to happen. And they're probably right in believing that we're going to sell all our top assets. But it's different to the owners that we used to have. That did sell all of our good players, reinvest it and reinvest it pretty well, I must say, as well. But they could be mm. the sort of people that keep two, three of those players. They do sell the likes of James Royal Prowse and like that, but they might keep Lavio, they might keep Belakoc up that's now out for two months. So, you know, his fitness um, issues, we don't know what they are like in the future. So if the teams like Bayern Munich or someone like that do come in, they'll probably want to know a longer history record for that. So overall, I am probably pretty confident going into the championship, but just because you have money, it doesn't mean you're going to spend it correctly. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think what is interesting, you know, Rasmus Ankerson, a lot of people will know that name from his time at Brentford. Uh, he's the sporting director at Southampton. Um, he he knows what to do with a football club. And what I find interesting here with Southampton is that probably the reason why you're going down is exactly the same reason why you'll be okay. You spoke about James Ward-Prowse. That's an interesting one as well. How how do you think that will play out? Because I'm a huge fan of his. I think he's fantastic. And I would imagine a lot of teams want him. And I was somewhat surprised that he did sign such a long contract when he did. Because there is always that threat of, of being relegated with Southampton as a sort of lower half Premier League team. Do you think there's any way that he stays at Southampton? It's something that you want to believe. If he wants to become a club legend here, he's got that status probably already. But if he wants to be able to lead us back into the Premier League, then there's certainly a chance. Look, I think the Athletic said that he's been sort of not happy to go for a while, but he's been content if he does move on. But if he does move on, say to a Newcastle, say to an Aston Villa, Aston Villa similar to what Danny Ings did, I imagine he'll just be another player in the squad that will be there for three, four years and then maybe move on, go somewhere else. Maybe he'll get a top six team. He's yet to show his completeness, I should say. Um, You know, look at the free kicks, look at the set pieces. A lot of people think that's all he is. That's, that's, that's incorrect, but he hasn't, he hasn't shown it on the big stage yet. And I think that's what, that's what a lot of people want to see from him. Look, I do think he's going to go for 30, 35 million pounds. And I think from a Southampton point of view, it'll be similar to when Ricky Lambert went to Liverpool, that everyone knows that he's probably achieved all he can in a Southampton shirt. Mm. And if you get a fee for him and he goes to a, a bigger club, we've got his respect, he's got our respects, and it's sort of that mutual mutual agreement that everything's okay. You can, you can do yeah. it. Yeah. Okay, interesting. But again, I think you're going to get a solid amount of money. Let's uh, run through a couple of ripple effects that may have got you to this position as well. So first of all, if uh, Jesse Marsh negotiations hadn't taken so long, would Southampton have been able to get someone else through the door? Or was do you feel like that was a sliding doors moment in terms of bringing in Jesse Marsh? Do you think he might have been able to get enough points for you? Or do you think you're always destined to to, to go down? I mean, he could have done, you know, you look, he was pictured in a hotel in Southampton. It almost couldn't have been any closer to getting him through the door. He's gone through a similar mould to what Ralph Arsenal did and he had success at times. Would I prefer him? Did I want him at the time? Yes, because we had players that suited Ralph Arsenal's style and that was easily Mm -hmm. transferable. But then again, you look at it, Jesse March, a lot of goals conceded at Leeds. Saints, they're not they're they're a big crowd of conceding a lot of goals as well. We've never had a, really a, a solid defensive structure since the Puel sort of Cumin days. So it could have had an effect. And I think we would have certainly got more points than we would have done under Ruben Sellers. But do I think it would have made the difference? Probably not. Final one, maybe Jack Grealish is to blame. Because if uh, Man City don't sign Jack Grealish, then do Villa sign Danny Ings? And have you got yourself 15 more goals and are you absolutely fine this season? Is Jack Grealish to blame for all of this, Harry? Do you know what? I'm going to blame Jack Grealish for it. He got Danny Ings got 22 goals when we finished 11th in the table. And when he left, look, we had a year left on his contract and we got 25, 30 million pounds for him. So do you know what? I'm very happy with the fee we got. But sadly, when you leave Che Adams, Adam Armstrong and Seku Mara to get you the goals, and you don't give Ralph Hasnews the replacement that you promised. Sadly, it's never going to work out. All of those three players for us have always underperformed their XG. Danny Ings always overperformed it. 
quite a lot. And uh, yeah, we'd be absolutely fine if Danny's was in the cycle. Final question. I'm going to ask everyone this one. Who are the three teams that will go down this season? I'm going to go Southampton, Leicester after that game against Fulham. And I'm going to go Leeds as well. They just concede too many goals. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Lewis Dayton from LUFC Lewis, uh, the YouTube channel. Make sure you guys go check this out uh, when you get a chance, especially you Leeds fans looking for some great A content. Uh, Lewis. Hi. I've sort of been chatting to different fans from different relegation threatened clubs for this one. And, you know, thank you for, for coming on. One thing that keeps sort of popping up into my mind is, is kind of what is the truth in terms of the expectations of these clubs? And because we've got some big teams here that, you know, someone's got, got you know, someone's got to go down. Mm. And I think sometimes we can get lost in the kind of where we think our club belongs or should be yeah. or what, you know, what's a fair level of expectation. Um, before we started recording, you, you were saying that, that there's been a sort of two years of calamity. Mm. What, when it comes to that sort of that starting point, because I, I like that as a time frame prior to that, Leeds United, a huge club, but they had obviously just got promoted for the first time in a hell of a long, you know, very long time. You know, mm. that first season was, did you overachieve or is that what Leeds should have been doing? Because I think it always helps to provide a bit of a kind of lens and a line to understand what a club should be doing, you know, when, when they go up or just generally season on season. I think a lot of people view the Leeds United fan base as delusional and that's because people are caught between the place the club was 20 years ago, Champions League semi-final, world-class players, to now where we still carry the flame of being a big club and you've still got the history there. But realistically, we've not got world beaters in the squad. We're not that team anymore. We're not fighting for titles. We're not fighting for Europe. Um, and I think people get caught in the middle of that and get confused as to where we actually belong. I firmly believe this club does belong in the Premier League. It would be delusional to say that we should be fighting for top four, top six. We should be beating Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Man United. All these teams, we're not that team anymore. We're not there yet. We're a long way off. And I think all that considered, there was a lot of delusion floating around. And when we came up, a lot of people did think we should be up here. I'd have been happy finishing mid-table, below mid-table, 15th. Do you know what I mean? And we finished ninth. Mm. And I think, yeah. again, using the word delusion, I think it would be delusional to say that we didn't overachieve. Of course we overachieved. And yeah, I think we come up and the players had a sense of, right, well, not to lose here. So you saw Bamford playing the best football he's ever played in his life, scoring 16 goals in a Premier League season, turning players inside out, shooting with his right foot, having that confidence of, hold on, <laughs> You know, 
I can do this. And he's got that ability, whereas now you're seeing those same players regress because that mindset's gone, the fitness is gone, the belief's gone. And I'm not going to sit here and say that's entirely down to the departure of Bielsa, but it plays a big part. It plays a big part, mate, and I, I don't think we should ever have sacked him. So that's that's where the, the well, you like that because that's a that's a great place to zone in on because you know mm. you can, for again for some of the other people we've been chatting to you know you're talking about moments in this season and I think there are moments in this season where it's gone it's been confusing Leeds Leeds have been mm. very confusing because we are <laughs> but but to, yeah but to to go back that a little bit more because I think you have to talk about Bielsa mm. we at the time I remember I remember saying look at the injuries here like this is outrageous. Like pe- football fans forget the injuries again and again and again and again. And just because you've got a name that's Leeds United or Everton or whoever it might be, if you don't have your best players, you're in trouble. And that was always quite a light squad with Leeds. And you had so yeah. many injuries. And I was generally of the idea that, and who knows if we're, if I'm right or wrong, but I was generally of the idea that like you know. I think also you'd had a tough run of games. You you'd conceded a hell of a lot of goals, but the easy run of games were, was on the horizon. Um, but a lot of Leeds fans were kind of like, nah, kind of it's they'd sort he'd sort of burnt them out a little yeah. bit. So what is again? It's kind of what is the truth with all of it? Like that 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 change that happened, which you know again you could spin it and go Jesse Marsh has come in and kept this team up. Yeah. Is you know is that the truth, or with the style of play that felt like it was getting figured out a little bit? Was it only getting figured out because of the injuries, mm. or or was it just the style of play that, after you know a season in what many consider the best league in the world, was just getting figured out by the best managers out there? What what's the what was the truth when it comes to Bielsa? I think last season we were just riddled with injuries, and I'm not just saying that; it's a very cliche thing and an easy thing to say as an excuse. For poor performance. Can you remember what you result. said at the time, Lewis? Can you remember what you said at the time? Were you sort of like? Oh, I yeah. think this is also an... all through the Sorry, season. Go on, go. All through the season, mate. It was a case of injury, 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 injury. Rafinha out, Phillips out, taking Phillips out of that team. Bamford, right? Yep, 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 yep. yep. Uh, but take, ripping Phillips out of that team ruined us, mate. Ruined us because the team built around him. So Bielsa's philosophy has to work. Bielsa's philosophy is small squad, built the team around Phillips, um, obviously man-marking, etc. And when you're taking key players out of that team, Phillips, Rafinha, when your small squad becomes even thinner, when you've got players out on loan, when you're being offered players that you don't want, um, it becomes very difficult to manage that squad. And I think maybe lay some blame to Bielsa just in terms of being stubborn and not managing what he had in a different way to what he would usually do with the tools he needs. But in the same breath, Bielsa's always stuck to his philosophy and he is a man that dies by his own sword. Um, So Mm. I respect that. And uh, for me, I'm not knocking that. We did need a change. We did need to play differently. We did need to take a step back and think, right, we haven't got the tools that we need here. How would you have seen the last 18 months if he'd have stayed in the job? What do you think would have happened realistically? I think he would have kept us up um, and then departed anyway because they'd already lined Jesse Marsh up to replace him at the end of that season. Let's say he did stay 
um, let's say Jesse Marsh was never going to come in, let's say that wasn't the plan, if he'd been given the players he wanted instead of the players that the club wanted, the board wanted, let's say, um, been given the tools that he needed, then I firmly believe that we'd have had another comfortable season in the Premier League. Maybe not challenging, but I think we'd have been fine. I think now, in comparison to last season where Jesse Marsh came in, the fans and the players were still very much of the belief that if we're out of a game, we can get back into it. Um, which is why when we got battered under Bielsa, let's say 6-2 Man United away, it didn't really bother us long-term that much because then you go and beat teams like Newcastle 5-2. Um, yeah, we were a chaotic team. Neutrals wanted to watch us play week in, week out. I'm not saying that's right, but that's how we were. One week we'd mm. knock four past the team, the other week <laughs> we'd concede six. And that's how it was. So it didn't really bother us that much because we knew that's how it was. Whereas now you're conceding five to Crystal Palace. You're 1-0 up, you dominate the first 30 minutes, you concede just on half-time, and then you lose 5-1. And it goes on and on and on, you lose 4-1 at Bournemouth, and the belief now is just that we're going down. It's good because, you know, to go from <laughs> to go from Bielsa to Allardyce in 18 months is... 14. It, it, <laughs> 14, sorry. That, wow. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that change in philosophy... Is is that is the most disappointing thing for for you guys? The idea that that you've kind of given up on that, like you said, you like your ass fell out. Like, does the ass fall out in terms of that desire to stick with that strategy? Because a good part of that as well is if you're going to do that, then Jesse Marsh was there were there were certain performances that were okay. It's just the yeah. results kind of weren't weren't occurring. Yeah. Um, but they've totally given up on that strategy. Do you think that the strategy to give up on that strategy is the right strategy? I think Jesse Marsh somewhere will be a very successful manager. I think he's got an exciting philosophy that certain players here didn't want to make work. Now everyone's regressed to how we were when we were 15th in championship, going to Chef Wednesday away, getting battered 6-0. Just having a good time. Just vibes. Just funny, isn't it? It's hilarious. We are back once again as a banter club. We're fighting relegation. We've got big Sam Allardyce in charge. You've got Patrick Bamford up top, who I love Pat. Always love Pat. Always stuck up for him. Sometimes it's been hard to stick up for him. I think he's got a lot to his game. Sometimes he doesn't show it. He's not consistent enough. It might not feel serious when you bring in Sam, but you know, in in the Forty Niners, that is that's some that's a serious organization. That you know, in December twenty two, Ratrizani was suggesting that he plans to sell the club to them, one hundred percent ownership. Mm-hmm. So, moving forward, of the fact that you know you feel like you're down, I, I haven't heard a Leeds fan say anything different. To be honest, mm. if you do go that down, how do you feel uh, about the squad and the future and the acquisition? I guess from the 49ers of the club, do you think there's any way they would be sort of scared away by that, or 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 um, or do you think you'd, it would all remain quite calm? What do you see yeah. as the future of that that squad and that team? in terms of competing in, in what will be a really um, impressive championship uh, next year in terms of the teams that will be there? I don't know what the lineup would be if you were to consider the current squad and no new signings in terms of who would leave. 
Um, who who think, do you think would get the most money and 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 would also want to leave? It's an hard question right now, to be honest. This is what I mean in terms of we haven't got a purse to buy. I mean, if you'd have asked me that last season, my first name on that sheet's Rafinha. Do you know what I mean? Ben Phillips, and they both did go. But now you sort of think, well, Melia was the one that you thought might go for like £50 million to Spurs six months ago until he turned into the Invisible Man. Um, see, I, see I, I disagree with you. I think there's loads. I think Sinistero would go for good money. Sinistero will go back to Feyenoord. I'll tell you that now. Yeah. I think the other Ameri- all the American boys would, would go for good money, I think, as well. And I think you'd still have a young squad with, you know, Cresswell would come back. Uh, is it Cody Dreme? Is that how you say it? Cody Drama, he would yeah. Come back, drama, he would come back into it. I don't think it's, I think it's rosier than you think. Final question. If you go down and then you were able to make your way back up, what would be the learning from this experience for Leeds that you would go, this is what we got wrong last time. This is what we need to get right this time as we, you know, bounce back up if you're able to do that. Starts from the top, mate. We need a clean out. Um, we need the takeover to go through. We need a new board. Obviously, I already sacked the sporting director, um, Victor Arter. All them rules, all them big rules need to be replaced. A new philosophy, again, new mindset needs to come in. One team that I just did not see in this relegation battle at the start of the season, despite quite a, dis- well, very disappointing when it comes to the sort of the, the shopping that is the transfer window in August, was Leicester City. Jack joins me now from the Big Strong Leicester Boys podcast to talk about Leicester City obviously being in this relegation battle and what would occur if they were to go down. Jack, I mean, it's lovely to chat to you, but I, I imagine you wish you probably weren't doing this podcast right now. How are you feeling, first and foremost, about the situation you you find yourselves in? Is there an element of shock here? I, I don't think it's shock now. I think... Um... To be honest, I, I saw it coming up a, a long time off. I think when you start the season, what we drew the first game and then lost six or seven in a row yeah. and got hammered in that time, you know you're in for a, for a tough season. I think I think the shock is possibly more so that we've we've just not managed to to make any change. So, uh, you know, you look at other sides around us, Wolves changed their manager, you know, in a decent position now. I mean, Villa were below us when they changed their manager. Uh, you know, up towards the European places now. So, so yeah, pro- probably not shock. I think frustration. Uh, I think I'm beyond anger um, that that we've just not managed to, to turn it around because we've we've been on a steady decline now, probably since we won the won the Charity Shield. I mean, last season we finished eighth, got to a European semi final, but you know there were some yeah. real strong warning signs there and it was a misleading eight wasn't it actually in in hindsight because it kind of you know the season before he'd been fifth and it didn't it didn't feel great but you kind of finished you finished the season strong didn't you yeah we won the last three and I think I'm not I'm not massive into stats but if you look at the xg table or something we were 18th and we managed to finish eighth and we've we've always overperformed our xg because we've got one of the best strikers in the premier league era and Jamie Vardy who's you know but as soon as he's he's declined, then then the team sort of we've we've been nowhere near the level. So so no, not shock, frustrated. I mean, it, it's an avoidable situation we're in now. But I, I think it's I think it's terminal. I think I think we're going down, and um, wow. and yeah, I think that's that's going to be really challenging for the club. 
Yeah, massively so. I think it's one of those with Leicester where at the start of it, you know, like a lot of YouTubers will do their predictions. We all will all have a go. I don't think Leicester would have been down there. Maybe everyone's sort of expecting mid table. Um, but actually, as it sort of pulls into focus the season, you then go, oh, yeah, no, I kind of, yep, Vardy's a little bit too old now. The centre-back partnership's either crumbling due to injury or, or or the new signings coming in. And actually, that's the big thing with this Leicester City squad is the horrible mix, really, of players that had done brilliantly for you, but sort of their time has been and gone. And then the the replacements not being anywhere near near up to it. I think you know always you're always hoping that those new signings will come in and make that change, and it's just obviously not happened. In terms of sort of the catalyst for this situation, as I say, you know that spine of Casper Schmeichel, you know um, Johnny Evans, Jamie Vardy up top as well. With Casper Schmeichel leaving, that felt really, really odd at the start of the season. Do you feel like that's been a, a big catalyst? Because the, the goalkeeper situation has been a big talking point throughout the season. Yeah, I think in hindsight, it has been. I mean, I was one of the time that I could understand why his time had come to an end. We were dreadful at set pieces last year. Casper doesn't come off his line. One of the best shot stoppers I've ever seen. But, um, you know, he has got deficiencies as a goalkeeper, probably why he he ended up playing for us for so long and you know he's he's been amazing for us but I think getting letting Casper go is fine I think not replacing him is, is the is the real challenge and um and no disrespect to Danny Ward he's just not at the at the level I, I don't think he's a Premier League goalkeeper another one that people probably won't have seen is like Wilfred and Didi's in decline is is yeah. is phenomenal really given you know at one stage he was probably Explain up there that with, to me what has happened there I can't explain it to you. I don't know. Uh, he's had injury problems um, last season, so he, he was injured a little bit. He, he's just been nowhere near the level. I mean, he was he was phenomenal for us. I mean, he's he's six foot something, you know, wins headers. He's not the best footballer in the world, doesn't carry the ball particularly well, but he's an absolute tackling machine. But he's been nowhere near that. I mean, he's been basically our third choice defensive midfielder this year. And every time he's been thrown in... Wow. He's he's made big errors. So, you know, against Villa, he gave the ball away and Traore scores with, with five minutes to go. But I think that the spine of the team, as you allude to, is has declined for different reasons. Some age, some have left, some have just lost form. But they're not the same players now. It, it cracks me up a little bit when people go, someone said to me on Monday, I say, oh, you're too good. You'll, you'll pull out. I was like, it's three games to go. We've got Liverpool, Newcastle. It's, it's a bit late now. Yeah. Well, it's a mix between care and competency I think because I've seen that with I think we've seen that with a few teams over the years and certainly this year as well you know spring straight to my 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 own team QPR and and Chelsea as well where you're kind of caught between where you think you should be and then the the beauty of football which is that it is you know to a point of meritocracy and you know if you're not up for it you're gonna get you're in trouble and in in the league like the Premier League where people are you know, sort of scratching for every inch, as uh, as Al Pacino would say. With Leicester, that summer transfer window did hurt. I think often I kind of, I, I'm wary of going, just spend money and go get those players in. But like, when you've got players that you talk about the contracts running down, the desire can is not always there. I mean, everyone listening to this right now can always tell you of those players that actually catch fire when they're trying to get another contract. But when they're not trying to get another contract, that's that's probably a concerning state of mind. And then the competency of of the players coming in. Like 
I think, like you say, Casper Schmeichel is probably not the catalyst here because it's not about the players going out. It's about the players coming in and, and that evolution that has to continue. And we're, you know, we're chatting to fans of all these relegation-threatened clubs and they're all spending money. And it, I think the, the truth in 2023 in the Premier League is that you have to spend money, mm. but you also have to spend it really well. Yeah, yeah. Because that... everyone's everyone's spending money. Um, it's one of those players that you brought in, Valtfaze, just to zone in on one kind of moment. Valtfaze with those two own goals against Liverpool. Do you think that's had a long-lasting effect on on him and his quality and confidence and probably reputation as well? Because when those moments happen, they'll they'll sort of stick with you for quite some time, especially as a centre-back. Yeah, I think I, I, I'd forgotten about that, to be honest. But I think that knocked his confidence. I mean, he was Liverpool's top scorer, I think, for... January and February which uh, I mean says more about them than than wow unfortunately but he came in um and I think initially the, there was a bit of chat actually that you know he might not be a better player than Wesley Fofana but he's probably better for us than Wesley Fofana I right. I mean he's been nowhere near that in level what way, sorry? as in because he's probably one he was more vocal than Fofana um he's less injury prone than Fofana and we need good players that are fit um, mm. and and he, he, he was a better organiser of the defence than Fafana. I think Fafana will have a much higher ceiling than him even back then but I think you know as times played out I don't I think that actually look I'm, I'm smiling thinking about that debate because it's it's, <laughs> it's just not one that we'd have now because although Fafana's yeah. been injured and uh, and everything else they're just they're just different players and you know, Do you know what, though? It's a great example of it's a great example of two things. One, the hope that you have when a player comes into your <laughs> club, and 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 secondly, the importance of you know not just one person of quality, but a whole system of quality, a whole group that's engaged. Because that will that you can look terrible in a team if you've got no help around you. Yeah, like, and and I think about phase. You know, we don't probably we probably don't know the truth really when it comes to him because he's got a you know he's got a defensive midfielder who can't. Who's not playing the, to the level they were before? You've not got a you know a thirty three year old centre back next to you who can can sort of walk you through it and read the game the way that Johnny Evans does. So that's a difficult thing for him to sort of come in. And then when those moments happen, that's going to hurt the confidence of the team as well. Got to talk about Brendan Rodgers. Uh, obviously, he's gone now, but you know he's not he's not a bad manager. That was always the thing for me. Like I, I always. I'm always fascinated to talk about football and managers because it's always really difficult to sort of find the truth. Uh, obviously, he won't be your manager moving forward. But what what is the truth with Brendan Rodgers in in your eyes? I, th- I think this season, uh, I'm going to use a massive cliche with Brendan. It's a game of two halves. First two years, probably the best manager up there with the best managers we've ever had. And you can't really argue with the le- with the levels he hit. Two fifth place finishes. Okay, we were fourth for the majority of these se- those seasons. Probably should have got Champions League football. Won an FA Cup. I mean, punched well above our weight. Even if our weight bill was sort of eighth or seventh, you know, we're punching against some some real big heavyweight clubs there. I think beyond that, he. I think the message got a bit samey. I think Casper uh, was on Monday Night Football a couple of weeks ago and said, you know, over a period of time, the message becomes the same and players don't respond to it. Um, I think that's what happened. I think we got away with it in the third season, like you said. I think in the summer, when you set your stall out and go, I need a complete rebuild, as he said after the Forest FA Cup game, he doesn't get that. 
he becomes more frustrated, more angry. I think that eventually rubs off on the players. I think he's probably, I mean, he's he's quite a confident bloke. He doesn't, you know, um, he, he, I don't think he lacks self-confidence, but I think his confidence got knocked a little bit this year. I think when you're trying to say stuff and and it's not working with the players, I mean, at, at the end, he just looked like he was done. In terms of the, the you know, a clean slate is clearly needed. Um, what will be interesting in terms of going down, in terms of the ownership, you know, it's the ownership is you know, very strong in terms of like the desire and the commitment um, to provide long-term stability on two occasions now, 2013 and in, on February 1st, they've sort of moved huge amounts of money, 103 million, then 194 million of loans into equity. So from that point of view, you feel sturdy. It's the squad I keep coming back to in terms of the knock-on effect of going down, but because sort of, I'm trying to figure out who stays and who goes. And actually what you kind of need is to rip the plaster off and go, look, Jamie, you've been brilliant. Look, you know, look, go through all those players and, and really, really move it on. But in the best league in the world, you're going to be able to attract better players. Mm. To do it in the league below, would that mean, you know, Jamie Vardy sticks around for another season? Would Ian Acho stick around for another season? Because you know you're going to lose Madison Tillemans anyway. So what's yeah. what's going to be happening to this squad if you do go down, do you think? It's a great question and I, I think it's one we're all discussing. I think um I think the first stage is getting a new manager in. Madison will go. I think there'll be plenty of clubs interested in him. It's what price and where to. Uh, Barnes will yeah. be one that's similar. Tielemans obviously out of contract. And then I think there's lots of others where we'll probably I mean, you're talking about a club that's made a loss for the last four years and significant losses with a very high wage bill. So we're going to need to raise some cash pretty quickly. So the likes of Castagna, Indeedy, um, oh, gee, like anyone really, Ian Acho, as you mentioned, will yeah. will probably be you've sold. Got some, you've got some interesting youngsters there as well. You know, Dewsbury Hall was fantastic for Luton in the championship, probably too good for it. You know, Yeah, um, he's had a really poor season Justin, this season. Yeah, Justin's another interesting one. I mean, Justin, brilliant, but often not fit. Injuries. Ricardo Pereira yeah. signed a new five-year contract, not fit very often. Really? Um, Thomas, so, you would imagine, stick around. The centre- yeah. I think the centre-backs would probably stick around, would they Suter, not? Suter and Fez might be quite good in the championship. I mean, I really like Harry Suter. He's yeah, not yeah, played yeah. enough for us. They might be decent. Everson's been in the championship before. I think he'd be a decent goalkeeper. The likes of Dewsbury Hall. We've got um, Pamza's uh, Chowdhury. has been on loan at Watford all year. We've got another year of him. Probably decent at that level. But um, it's not like, you know, uh, I mean, Bournemouth have come up and they've kept the likes of Philip Billing and things like that. So I, I, I'm not, I don't see as having real, we're not going to hold on to the likes of like Harvey Barnes or Ian Acho who'd be really good at that level. I think we've got a lot of players with probably a point to prove in the championship. So and, and we're going to have to make a lot of additions. I mean, we've got one or two really promising youngsters in um, Will Alves and Sammy Braybrook, like both play for England under 18s, under 19s. Club's got really high hopes for them. Um, they did their ACLs about sort of six months ago. So uh, so that's mm-hmm. frustrating because you imagine going down would give them an opportunity, but hopefully they they bounce back. And there are some decent kids coming through the academy. But, but like you say, you know, huge huge task for whoever comes in to to rebuild that because we're going to be you know I imagine our scouts have been looking at very different players to ones they're going to have to start looking at in the, in the summer which is not easy really well that's and and that's why I think for Leicester it's for a team that wants oh well, this I mean as probably one of my final questions for you is you know who are Leicester City like are you a are you a top 10 club do you, you know I think sometimes this can be a generational question but 
do you, you know is that the truth or is the truth you're a lower half club or you know prior to that you know prior to you know it all coming together the way that it did you know this was a team that sort of bounced up and down yeah, several yeah. I mean, times i think about 14 so years ago the... we were in league one right so yeah oh god of course so so to to go down is is the scariest thing just how far away it will feel to get back to the the eighth place finish which is probably sort of a a gentle optimistic idea of what Leicester City is because a lot of the infrastructure is there. The training grounds, you know, incredible. I really like the stadium as well. So yeah, who, who are Leicester City? It's a, it's a phenomenal question. I think one, again, we're all asking ourselves, I think, I mean, the club's narrative over the last few years has been to disrupt the top six and we've done that, but um, a, a bit like Icarus, we probably feel a bit too close and we've fallen from it very, very quickly. I think, um, I think that will that will be what we, you know, time will tell in terms of what, what we end up being. Traditionally, you know, I've, I've seen us be relegated four times and once to League One. So I'm, you know, I'm well prepared for relegation and, and I don't underestimate the task of, of being in the championship. Um, although I don't think the championship's an absolutely phenomenal league. It's one of my favourite to watch and uh, I think the playoffs are phenomenal, but it's easier when you're not in them. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I think what, what we are is is a great question. I, I don't even know if I can if I can answer that. I think you know most fans would say we're a top ten club over the last few years, or at least should be, and that's what we pay our players to be. But we've been miles off that this year. I mean, in many ways, it surprises me we've not finished bottom. It's it's a tough, unforgiving league, and you can sure. you can forget you can become a very different team very very quickly if you're not carefully carefully planned in in, in how you approach it. Absolutely. Uh, final question then. Uh, who's going down? Which three teams do you think they're down, mate? I think it'll be the same as they are at the moment. I think Leeds have got a really tough run in, although other dice has come in. Um, they might not get another point. I equally think we might not get another point. Um, got Newcastle and Liverpool next. West Ham on the last day of the season might sneak something there, but it might already be done. Um, I'm praying for sort of one last Jamie Vardy show to drag us out of it, but... Um, we might have uh, we might have had a fair share of miracles over the last few years. So uh, so yeah, I think it'll be I think it'll be as it is now. This episode is brought to you by Carmax. Carmax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because Carmax believes you shouldn't just settle for a car; you should love your car. That's why every car they sell has CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Start shopping now at CarMax.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Right, next up. This is interesting because... You won't have met this guy before, but this is my brother. I mean, he's not actually my brother, 
but it feels like it by this stage. Me and Kai work together, and Kai is a huge Everton fan. Used to be a... Where were you a steward? Was it at Goodison Park or Anfield? Yeah, Anfield, but in the away end. In the away end. So that it's either, so he's proper Everton. He'll even, he'll even <laughs> work for them to take their money and uh, enjoy it when they can see goals. Um, and yeah, we work together. Kai's also the producer for, uh, you know, for this podcast. For the ripple effect so although i was sort of you know getting different people from different podcasts and stuff it seems silly not to have you on kai to talk about everton and i think you're, you're the perfect everton fan with this because you have moments of despair and then i'll i'll feel that little moments of bias and optimism as well i think that we did a great podcast with baz from toffee tv talking about seven years of mashiri when I'm chatting to all the different fans for this podcast, the sort of ownership problem, I mean, I use the word loosely, there isn't really that much of a problem with the other owners. Um, but with Mashiri, in terms of the ripple effect of Everton and where they find themselves right now, as we you know discussed in huge length in that podcast, it's it does start at the door of Mashiri, doesn't it? In terms of the profit and sustainability rules that Everton find themselves in because they they did spend a lot of money and now kind of can't what's the what's the current current situation so it's stemmed from spending too much money when we didn't really have to when we were about mid-table we could keep going and we would, would have been fine where and what we've done is we've spent so much to the point where we've regressed so much that we're in the bottom half bottom five consistently now over the last two years and that's pushed us into the corner of okay now we need to spend money we can't because obviously we haven't made any money we've lost a lot of money um on players that we can't resell so it seems a bit better now but obviously in march it did come out that we were being investigated for the 2021 2022 season um nothing has come out since but we could face we could be penalised further down the line. This season, it should be okay. But next season and in the summer, it might there might be a microscope under us. Um, the problem as well is we've only got like one or two assets we can actually sell for profit, and those are our best players. Um, it says a lot that we sold Richarlison on the deadline of financial fair play um, to Spurs wow. for £50 million when... We, we as Everton fans thought we either could have got more or we could have got a deal that suited us a bit more in terms of the structure of it because we could, and with in January we also we sold Anthony Gordon forty five million somehow um, there was seven goals in two seasons Dwight McNeil has the same this year so not really bothered about that but the problem is the money hasn't come back in and apparently we were supposed to buy a striker we didn't it feels like a mess on the owner's yeah. side because they can't get anything done, can't work together. And again, you know, that that is seven years in the making, isn't it? Because of the amount of money that was spent before. And that that's so interesting about chatting to everyone for this one is the fact that, you, you know, you've got... It's not even preparing for the worst, but it, you need to be able to bank something if you do go down because there will be a churn of players if that happens. And that's the scary thing with Everton, that in terms of personnel... It, I think it's been so depressing for so long. The amount of money that you're going to be able to get for a lot of these players isn't I mean, isn't that wonderful. Um, Anthony Gordon, let's talk about him because, like, in terms of you know staying up or going down, 
the sale of Anthony Gordon, has that been, it hasn't hurt you in terms of results, really. Sean Dyche has been able to kind of do quite well for you. So him leaving, is has that bizarrely been quite a positive part of the season for Everton? So the moment where he was dead to me was when he was trying to leave the ground in his car and he was he was getting sticked, deservedly so, because he gave away a, a free kick to James Ward-Prowse and they scored. I mean, it was needlessly given away and he was over-enthusiastic and he tried to show he cares by being by being just petulant and acting like a child, which I still right. think he is now the way he acts at Newcastle. But the when it broke for me when he went when he was just tried to leave in his car and didn't come out and console the fans because that's an easy win if you just stand there and take the abuse. At least people will say, okay, he is one of us. He's from Liverpool. He's he's supposed to be a fan of the club. On the flip side of that, you have Yedimina who actually did get out of his car and then just put in an amazing performance against Brighton. And then people are just... Everton fans are really forgiving. Don't... Except for the owners, but they've they've done that to themselves. So if a player has one game, I've seen it. After after the Brighton game, there was talks on Everton Twitter and everything. That, oh, we, what we should do is, after that game, we should give Yerimina a two-year deal, but incentivised. Uh, but all of this season, he's been scum. Like people hate him, but so easy to forgive. So but Anthony Gordon and Ross Barkley—they're not forgivable. Do, where do you think Everton would have been if Sean Dyche hadn't have come in at the start of the season? There was, you know, an element of hope. I remember chatting to you about it and that, that sort of concern with the fact that you know, in terms of overall results and the defense supposedly having good numbers, in truth. But the XG was quite high and, you know, you were concerned of where it was going to head. And then it did sort of head down a dark road, certainly in terms of results. And it felt like with Lampard, you had a manager there that needed quality around him to to be able to sort of get anything out of it and and be able to kind of deal with being a lower half Premier League team. I mean, even since then, he's obviously gone to Chelsea and he's not done much better there with a bit of quality. But in terms of... Everton and what was necessary to give you even a chance. Sean Dyche coming in has been, you know, the be all and end all for you. Like, what has he provided for Everton this year to give yourselves a chance? And if you'd stuck with Lampard, do you think you'd already be dead and buried? Um, so, starting with Sean Dyche, I think what he's done is he's revived a lot of players um, by not necessarily making it about them. Whilst Lampard, he was trying to make a team about about some individuals like Anthony Gordon um like he was kept feeding into him you're you're my you're my guy you're my guy you're going to be you're going to help us and then the narrative of he saved our season last season was born when it was actually Richarlison who kept kept us up on his own again one player doing the doing the heavy lifting in a sense under Lampard which again comes back to not having a real system and not having an actual plan because mm. We were conceding, but we were scoring at the same time against Palace when we stayed up. We won 3-2 after being 2-0 down. And then in this season, at the start, we were we had the best defence in the league for a while. But I was thinking, well, that wasn't how it was last season. And we're not scoring this season either. So it just seemed a bit... It's just, it was a fluke every time something good happened. Um, whereas with Sean Dyche, it's about 
the system, but also have being like that strong father or stepfather figure where he's coming and he's nice to you and but you respect him at the same time. And mm. that's where the likes of Dwight McNeil have really shone. Mm. Yeah, it feels like it's kind of the, the, about the sort of sum of the parts, which is interesting because I think in terms of that, the individuals are kind of moving on to the fact that you know this this club may still go down, and they are two seasons away from moving into a you know a brand new stadium that will hopefully kind of secure you know the future of the club to a point. Um, so it really has. It was so necessary to get in a good manager. I was chatting to Jack from, uh, you know, a Leicester City podcast, and he's talking about the problem with Brendan Rodgers is they, the timing, not the fact they needed to sack him or that he needed to go, but when you did it, and they did it too late, so they haven't been able to bring in anyone uh, uh, decent enough. I think that's one thing you've got to, got to give them is that Sean Dyche came in early enough to give himself that time to organize this group of players and to switch them on in terms of if this Everton side isn't good enough to to stay up because it is still it's funny isn't it you know result bias is huge and you like you get a victory and one hell of a victory at Brighton which no one called and you kind of think it might you know it might be okay but then of course you you know your next games against Man City what happens if Everton go down from a financial point of, of view, first of all, before we kind of like you know dive into the squad and who might survive and who who might go. So I think the difference with Everton is that similar to Leicester in a sense that we haven't budgeted to go down, whereas Forest, even though they've spent all the money, they knew if we go down, they'll they get that money back through parachute payments. Everton have never thought about. Uh, the parachute payments in that way and it's actually going to be a matter of well that helps us a bit but now we've got a big problem that we can't fix with Premier League money and if we don't get back up we'll never be able to fix it so I think the the problem is we've got, we've not got any assets that are worth selling apart from Onana and we've already spent 35 million on him so if we go down we won't be making a massive profit on him because he will want to leave and there was rumours that he wanted to leave after Lampard left, which have since been debunked. But if the rumours are there, well, it doesn't make me feel any better mm. after they go away. But so I think they've got Pickford. He wins his points every single season. Maybe not as needed in the championship because we should be stronger. But losing him when you don't really when you really plan to lose him is again one of the things pulling the carpet out from under yourself. Mm. And Calvert-Lewin, again, does he have any real value because of his injuries and is there a tax on him because of that? Because he was linked with Arsenal for £50 I remember that not long ago. And I think the problem is we've done to ourselves is we've allowed ourselves to get to this position, but we've also not sold our players proactively, sold them when we have to more than when we should have. And again, with the Charleston, again, the Charleston, we could probably maybe get him back if we stay up, because Spurs, it's, it's, Everton's still post Instagram posts about him when he's got a flag in the stadium and he still likes all our Instagram pictures I've seen. I've checked every day. But so there's that. But it's the future. When we're just... talking about sustainability and the finances of it all, regardless of where you're at, be it in the Championship next year or in the Premier League this year, are you really going to have money to spend? Or, you know, is the sort of. 
the sort of hungry years of of Sean Dyche, is that going to become a proper thing? Because that is what he's great at. You know, you can see this Burnley team in this Everton side. You can see what he's doing there. But the problem with that sometimes when you make it more about the sum of the parts is you can't, it makes it harder to sell those players like you're saying. Like, regardless of what division you're in, is it still going to be a very difficult club to be at and to manage for Sean Dyche for for years and years to come? Or do, do you see the future becoming brighter as long as they stay in the division? Like, what, you know, how does it play out either way? Firstly, I think we've got enough money to buy a striker, which is the massive overhanging problem this season because we were bidding for about seven strikers on deadline day, didn't get any of them because we had that Anthony Anthony Gordon money to fall back on and use that. And the way that's going to be used is going to, is going to be really pivotal for the future because if they do what I think they, they'll do and use all the money on one player, it could go horrendously. Um, mm. But what I think the positive with Sean Dyche is the system makes players look better than they are. And then you get stupid clubs like Everton buying your players for 30 million, like we've done to Burnley so many times. So I think it can be kind of self-sustaining. If we just make these players look good, make them shine and then sell them. And it doesn't really matter what they do after that, because not many players who leave Everton do better after leaving Everton. You're banking on a team being as stupid as your club is. For, you, for the sustainability of the future of your club. I think it needs to go back a little bit further than that. And, uh, you know, there is always a lot of shouting of sort of sack the board, sack the board when any team is struggling. But when it comes to, you know, this club, it feels like because of the the stadium and he's so sort of deep into it, he kind of can't totally walk away as, and, you know, as well as the fact that you've got to get someone who's going to buy both the club and you know the money that's needed for the stadium that we're talking about but that money that you're ever going to get be it in the championship or in the premier league is always going to come from good recruitment everton will be an enormous football match for any team in the championship and i'll be honest like of all these of all the teams that could go down i feel like everton it would be the hardest for them to get back into the premier league at the first first time of asking than anyone else because I think I, I mean tell me if you disagree I think it's hard to see the truth of Everton because you're because they're called Everton and because they've got the history and because they are you know the size of what they are but like it could get really ugly if you go down couldn't it you've really got to stay up yeah that's that exactly what I was going to say we we're Everton so I was going to say there with Derby, you could have Mason Mount Tamori, but you're still Derby. Like we're Everton, like we should be up there in the prem, like in the top seven at least, because we made seventh hours. It was no one's Everton got divine spot. right though, have they? Nah, but we do. When once upon a time we we have the history of finishing seventh. <laughs> like Liverpool got the Champions League rights, so we've got the seventh place right. Final question, then, mate. I've asked everyone this: Who will be the bottom three at the end of the season? So, I think Southampton... Not heart, I want head. <laughs> uh, Southampton leads in 19th and then Leicester in 18th. That 5-1 win, you can't take that away from us. <laughs> Wolfie from Forest Fan TV. 
Fascinated to get your opinions on Forrest's season and what could happen if they were to get relegated this season. I think we kind of got to go back a little bit and actually talk about one thing that people haven't focused on when it comes to Nottingham Forest is that you can really pride yourselves on getting promoted without parachute payments. That is something that's becoming more and more kind of novel these days. Absolutely. I've certainly seen it myself in the championship is clubs can be clever they can be smart and there's a lot of good quality out there that you can find and and Nottingham Forest did that brilliantly last year in terms of using the loan market and and something that as I've said it certainly a few times on my channel um, but one sort of you know knock-on effect of those loan signings and getting up is that you lose those same loan signings. And when you lose those loan signings because they've done so well, you've got to replace key men in your starting lineup. Now, what I've got to say is that it feels like it's gone a little bit too far. <laughs> the amount of players that you've brought in. What are your feelings on the sort of mass transfer strategy? Because I think the fair thing to say is that there had to be a lot of changes. But to have this many changes, has that been something that's been a, a, a huge hindrance to the season? Or or is it is it just great to have as much quality as possible? It's uh, well, firstly, thank you for having me, James. Absolute pleasure to be on here with you. It's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because the saying is never fall in love with your lone players. And I've uh, guilty. Jed Spence yeah. for me, absolutely loved him last year. Jimmy Garner, you know, Keenan Davis. Loved all those players. And when we were talking in the summer about what should we do, a lot of Forest fans would have been happy just to sign, you know, three of the loan signings and one or two others. Never did we expect, you know, the joke is 30 players in in a year. It was crazy. But the the real kind of underlining thing behind it is it wasn't just those loan e signings that were going. We had five or six loan e's, but in total we had about 19 players coming out of contracts as well. So either way, Cooper's addressed it himself early in the season. Even had we not got promoted, there was going to be wholesale changes at Forest and almost a whole squad rebuild was happening. For me, it was exciting. It was exciting. I'm not going to lie to you, that, that summer transfer window, we've never seen the likes of it. You know, being linked to players like Jesse Lingard and then you were hearing all kinds of... At one point, we were getting uh, linked to Ramos, the Portuguese striker as well. All the rumours were flying and it was just like, wow, this is the Premier League. Hence why I was getting giddy when I said in your previous video, you know, I was was dreaming of fourth. I know, man. Wait, I've done that myself, though. QPR, remember, we spent all the money and I was like, this team is a top 10 team. We will, I think we'll finish ninth. And we uh, finished rock bottom at the end of it. There, I mean, I do. You naturally see parallels with things you go through with your own team, and then you say this that this season and the transfer strategy is something you've never seen the like of before. I think the the that sort of add on to that would be you don't really want to see that again either, do you? Yeah. Because yeah, you want to you want to be a, a you know it to be one or two sort of add additions to a sort of settled squad. Exactly. That's the starting point for success. And that, that amount that you spoke about, the 180 million, if you think about the money spent in this summer, 141 million, the money mm. spent in January, 29 million. Yeah. Um, they're sort of bang on it. And just, it just shows that um, in terms of, again, all those players coming together, have you seen on the pitch the knock-on effect of that in terms of the lack of chemistry within the group? 100%. 
100%. For me, even now, I'd say we're starting to see a bit of cohesion. But it's, uh, you know, I think Steve Cooper himself has only uh, blooded the same team in back-to-back games once or twice this season. Be it because we've had a horrific injury list. Uh, at one stage, we've got 14 out. I think currently we've got 11 or 12 out. We seem to pick up two injuries a game on average at the moment. It's a bit of a, a laughing joke within the fan base. But there, there's definitely been, um, especially until the World Cup, for me, I think the World Cup helped us with it being this unusual winter one because it gave Cooper and his training staff a couple of weeks in November to try and bed some of these players in. Um, and you saw the evidence of that when we returned back from the World Cup in January, Forest were on the uh, league table, actually top on points achieved um, for the first four or five weeks. But what the Forest fan base wants to see in the summer is maybe quality over quantity, because you, you can see the strategy. They've built out the squads. They've done what they needed to do. And now they you need to add you know, the, the quality on top of it, maybe three signings at 30 million each you know spend 90 million instead of 90 million across 15 players do you see yourselves being a club that changes their squad every season i don't i don't think so i think the the key to me was that they had to build a squad this season um if we go down that would cause the issue because if we go down i'm sure there's a lot of uh, relegation clauses built into a lot of these players contracts you hope so right and- <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you know i'm i'm still thankful jesse lingard's only on a one season contract so that, yeah. <laughs> that's all good that's so it. he, it's all exciting until you get the bill isn't it that's the thing exactly exactly but um for me i think the wholesale restructure again could happen if we went down where we may lose 10 players we've got obviously some decent to you know up and coming players like brennan johnson who's been fantastic this season um, you've got Morgan Gibbs White, who's obviously the whole 42 million, even though that's stretching the truth a little. Um, he's been coming into his own as well. And we've got explain a that of for us, Wolfie. Just explain that. Yeah, um, we Steve Cooper worked with Morgan Gibbs White um, throughout twice before in his career, uh, back in his England days, etc. And he's his boy, and he wanted him. And uh, Wolves weren't releasing him, and it just kept going up and up and up the price tag. In the end, 42-ish million was agreed, but that's with heavy add-ons. And we're talking add-ons like um, Morgan Gibbs-White playing for England this year. These are rumours. Obviously, no one knows for sure. You know, um, Forrest Getty, surviving relegation, etc. So what our understanding is, the actual initial outlay is about 25 million with a few easy clauses and a lot of stretch clauses, if you like. Got so. We always get bantered by the Wolves fan. Uh, thanks for the 42 million, etc. And we're like, for me, I wish he costs us 42 million because if he hits those additional clauses, it means Forrest have had a fantastic season. He's had a fantastic season. And again, like you were able to go for it because you know you'd done it within FFP, so you have that room to yeah. go and spend spend all that money. Um, the Athletic have sort of uh, has heard concerns from mid-table Premier League clubs that Nottingham Forest have sort of distorted the market this season. Sort of wages being driven up by you know this ambitious newcomer in, in Nottingham Forest. Um, have you s- sort of noticed that yourselves? Like, do you f- like do you feel like it's sustainable to sort of to provide these wages as well moving forward? Well, well, for me, you've got to look at it. You know, the facts speak for themselves. Forrester currently sitting 16th in the Premier League, having spent 
140 odd million. Now, if 140 odd million is only going to get you to 16th, then, you know, the, the fingers need to be pointed at what the other clubs are doing. You know, I mean, look how Chelsea have performed with their finances this year. Eight-year contracts, 100 million players left, right and center. You know, we've come in and it's kind of, it's, it's you know, peeved off the Forest fan base a little because our, our response is, well, what did you want us to do? Come here just to finish 20th, do what Norwich do, just yo-yo up and down. You know, should we not be praised for at least trying to have a go and get into it? Look, if if the wages become astronomical next year, there's still parachute payments that, that are going to kick in and potentially help us, mm. um, you know, as you touched on earlier at the start. So uh, for me, I think they, they should maybe look at it and think, well, this is the Premier League. It's, you know, a multi-billion industry. Money has to be spent to survive. Because mm. if we didn't spend the money, the headlines would have read, well, Forrest are just here, you know, a holiday season out. You know, yeah. they're just happy to to make up the numbers. So it's the narrative, isn't it? I, I agree with you. And I think also like context, because if you think, say, even say Bournemouth and Fulham, mm. Fulham, have both of them have gone up and down and have had players yep. who are, and what they have done well over that period of time is bought players, Dominic Solanke, not good enough for the Prem just yet, bounces yep. down, bounces back up. Yep. Fulham, Agreed. Harry Wilson, similar thing. Harrison Reed, you could yeah. say the same Mitrovic, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so for, for, that is the thing that does have to be, I think the quantity is extortionate. What I would also suggest is that I feel like the the age of some of these players feels too much as well for, for Nottingham Forest. And I've got a question on that mm. in a second. But the amount of changes that were necessary, I think you're right. I think I've probably been a, a bit naughty myself in terms of kind of going, stop it like too many i think it just kind of it went past the line where it was getting like unnecessary if you go down who stays and who goes out of these big names that you've got because the one thing that i find interesting is that actually the two that might go are probably the two it's brennan johnson and, and morgan gibbs white that you are the two sort yeah. of young starlets in this so it would then be a very old squad yeah, I kind of, I'd slightly disagree with you on the age of the squad. I feel in the summer window, we signed three oldies, if you like. We brought in Lingard, Aurier, and Quixote. Uh, four, if you include uh, Remo Freyler as well. And there was a lot of youth um, brought through, you know, Nico Williams, uh, Biancone, the right backs. There's a lot of youth brought in. And when it came to the January window, that's where I feel they decided, they looked at the squad and thought, we haven't got Premier League experience. Um, we need some older heads around here. Now, now for me, some of the signings were horrific. 19 million in total for Chris Wood, you know, who's way past it. I, I get bantered by the Newcastle fans all day, every day. And, you know, <laughs> for that one. Shelby, for me, I thought he could be okay, but he's been bit divisive at the moment and IU as well is 34 odd already so definitely in the um January window they just went for age 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 you got Felipe mm. in there Navas as you mentioned as well but they've done a couple of pearls in there with Danilo the Brazilian little wonder kid he's coming on a six and a half year deal we picked him up for wow. 18 million this is the kid that Arsenal wanted not too long ago that they were scouting so we've done quite good business on him for 18 million. But you are right. If we go down, it's going to be the cream of the crop that potentially goes. It will be Brennan Johnson. I can't see Brennan Johnson putting another year in the championship, although he's not an inborn and bred. You know, none of us, I think, would hold it against it. It would hurt. But you, you would understand why he would leave, how that could finance the club potentially. Mm. I'm not convinced Morgan Gibbs-White would go. 
I think that would depend on if Steve Cooper's still here or not. I think they've got a very strong father-son style relationship. Yeah. He's done the championship last season. Um, it just depends what his aspirations are. Is he still trying to push forward towards an England career, etc.? And uh, finally, uh, Steve Cooper. I think mm. it's been great that you've you know have looked to stick with him and the fan base. I know you know absolutely love him, which is actually you know it feels very unique that he's been able to survive. Mm. Really, um, if you were if he was to take you down, would that really hurt his stock, or is he still would he still be bulletproof? Um, St- Steve Cooper's an interesting one. Like the majority of the fan base are behind him, um, but he's he's not bulletproof in terms of criticism. I think for me personally, I've seen too much low block football from Forrest this season. I do believe there's a more expansive team in there. He himself has come out and said, this isn't the style he wants to play. In terms of if he goes down, the majority of the fan base believe he's got enough credit because he's the one who brought us up and he would be the best one um to bring us back to the premier league now that's a debate that happens in the fan base quite a bit i'm not so convinced on that i'm old enough to remember the old premier league times and the 23 year gap to it so for me it's no guarantee that you go down to the championship you come straight back up look how luton uh, not luton look how norwich are doing this season look how watford are doing this season yeah yeah so i don't Mm. think look i think cooper is very good and could do it at the championship he's got to what three playoffs um twice as Swansea once with us but the fan base won't back off him and they will carry on supporting him who are the three teams that will go down uh Southampton obviously are, are locked in the R will be by their name this weekend I fear for them I think I think it's Leicester in 19th and then I think Everton will pull away and if I'm being straight and honest it's between Forest and Leeds if Forrest beat Chelsea this weekend, we're on the beach. I think we will get two more points. I think we will finish 16th, 17th, where we are now. And then I can flip my start of season prediction and say I meant fourth from bottom, not fourth from top. So. <laughs> there you go. That's it. Joy, in this game, you can always spin it, mate. You can always spin it. Absolutely, um, mate. Absolutely. Absolutely.